Hello, and welcome to East Daily's Midstream Edge podcast, where we connect molecules to money. I'm your host, Shireen Lakani, and today I have with me in studio several of our top equity analysts, Matt Lewis, Rob Wilson, and Zach Van Everen. How's it going, guys? Good weekend? Good, yeah. 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 Sweet. So as of this morning, we have released all of our 1Q 2019 post-call board reports on each of the 26 companies currently under coverage. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with whatever I just said, um, East Daily publishes a pre- and post-earnings call report for each of the midstream companies we cover, along with pre- and post-call asset-level company financial models. So now that the midstream earnings season is officially over, it's probably a good time for us to walk through a couple of the heavy hitters and and see how they did um, and see how we did as well. So for today's earnings lineup, we have Buckeye, TC Pipelines, Newstar, DCP Midstream, and Energy Transfer. So ticker symbols BPL, TCP, NS, DCP, and ET. Let's get started with Buckeye, though. Um, we've got a buyout, it appears, Matt. Uh, kind of funny, considering it was Newstar who delayed the earnings on from a Wednesday to a Friday, and then the same day that Buckeye was reporting. And I remember the storm of speculation on, on Twitter and et cetera that started because of that. So, But it turns out that Buckeye was the one with the news, not so much Newstar. So um, maybe give us a recap of what happened and what's going on there. Yeah. Um, so released a um, buyout of, of Buckeye that, that went public on, on the day earnings were, was released as well. So that was last Friday. Um, a 27.5% premium. Um, pretty good for the people who were lucky enough to buy at the bottom uh, of Buckeye. Worth noting that Buckeye was a $60 plus stock uh, a year to two years ago. Um, so the buyout is significantly below that price point. But certainly, if you were able to pick the bottom, um, it, it's it's a good uh, a good outcome for those those people. Um, just to hit on earnings for Buckeye, not that it makes a huge difference at this point. Um, pretty much in line with East Daily numbers and in line with uh, consensus numbers as well. Um, reported 216 million of adjusted EBITDA. East Daily and consensus were both at 214. No significant differences in in the segments uh, either. A little bit better in merchant services a little bit better in, in global marine terminals than um, what East Daily had estimated. Um, but overall, the big news is the buyout there. And listen, it, from a from a standpoint of the assets and looking at the assets, the buyout can make some sense because um, as we highlighted in our Dirty Little Secrets section of, of Buckeye, um, really what we thought there was a lot of the damage to the business had already been done. It was very difficult for me to take down Caribbean earnings significantly more than what they had already been taken down without the assumption of the facilities going cash flow negative and and eventually being mothballed and shut down. So from that standpoint, the the rest of the assets are pretty stable for the most part, at least through 2023. You do have an issue in 2023 with the corpus assets potentially having an MVC roll off, um, and that does make up a significant portion of the earnings in global marine terminals at this point. So the PE buyers will have to set a plan for that and figure out how to mitigate that contract loss. But on the pipelines and terminal side for Buckeye, those assets are fairly stable. They're going to continue to see uh, slight increases from the FERC uh, index tariff increases each year. 
Um, so from that standpoint, the assets, a lot of damage had been done. It, it maybe makes some sense for the PE to come in and say, hey, we don't see a lot of downside here. There's an upside call if, if Kirby and storage ever comes back. Um, and maybe we can do something around those the, the corpus assets uh, over the next four or five years. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what the, what the PE does to Buckeye. Um, but for now, moving on to TC Pipeline, Zach, our resident TCP expert. Um, so it sounds like there were a couple of expansion announcements, right, on North Baja, Westbrook Express as well. Can you- yeah, that's, that's correct. So just to start with earnings, we were just under percent below what they came in. They reported 142 for EBITDA. We were at 141. Consensus as of April 119 was at 129, just about 10, 10% below. So we came in a lot higher, and this was due with multiple, multiple factors. They had more contracts coming online on GTN, so that helped with the uh, bring the revenue up as well. They had a lot of backhaul contracts on northern border, so there is extra revenue coming in from that angle. And then, as Shereen mentioned, they did announce – a third phase to their Westbrook project, which they announced at the beginning of this year. This was an additional project on PNGTS. So they have the Westbrook project going and the phase three will come online in 2022. So by the time all the projects are doing on PNGTS are done, they expect to expand the pipe by 90%. So all these projects are, are huge projects on this pipe and will continue to bring incremental revenue. And then the newest one they announced as well was the North Baja Express. Um, this is slated to go online in February 2023. And there's speculation this is in line with the LNG export facility they're trying to build on the North Baja Peninsula. They have commitments from um, Asian shippers, three head of agreements, I believe is the, the correct term. And it's not FID yet, but the, it does seem like they're going forward with the project for now. So this project expanding North Baja Express around 480 MMCF a day uh, could go in line with that uh, LNG export project as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what, what, what about the FERC 501G rate cases? Do you have any update on, on that? Yeah, so they've settled with all their pipes. They're still waiting on approval from FERC for Northern Border, but it sounds like they're settled with shippers. So in the past, we've seen if shippers agree to the, the 2% cut, which is what the Northern Border case was, uh, FERC generally lets it go because the shippers who they're trying to protect. So if the shippers agree, we should see that one go through. And after that, all the pipes, at least in the near term, they were able to mitigate quite a bit of the risk around the, the FERC NOPR that we were worried about at the beginning of last year. So that was uh, something we saw. We took our risk on northern border down a little bit. We had risk in the future after the moratoriums expired, but we took that down a little bit just because they're able to mitigate this risk. Uh, the one pipe we do still have risk in 2022, beginning of 2023 is GTN. We think that pipe will be over earning significantly still, especially with their new contracts coming on. So we do see some downside if they're over earning after that moratorium for maybe under section five of settlement with shippers. So that's risk to keep in mind. Yeah, makes sense. So uh, circling back now to Newstar real quick, Matt, um, a couple of things here, it seems, from the earnings call. First off, first off storage. Um, Newstar announced the sale of its St. Eustatius asset. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And, and that's the one with the Petavesa contract? It is. So, it previously had the Petavesa contract. Right, right. That, is, and, that has been wound down at this point. Right. And so a good sale then? Yeah, I think overall it's a good sale for someone in Newstar's position where they, they listen, they need cash. Um, they have a lot of money on their credit facility. 
Um, they have a lot of expensive preferred and decently expensive debt that they're paying. So from their standpoint, where that facility without Pedavesa, we had making a just a minimal amount of, of EBITDA every year. I know the company guided to negative EBITDA without that Pedavesa contract. That probably assumes they weren't able to get any third parties into, into that storage facility. I, I think that's a little bearish of an assumption. Um, but I know they wanted to, to paint it like as positive as possible. So um, from that standpoint, if they weren't able to get third parties in that facility, certainly it's possible that that could have ran um, EBITDA negative. With some third party assumptions, we had it running a little bit of uh, the cash flow positive going forward. Um, but yeah, it, it seems $250 million for, for a facility that um, had some had some issues, certainly had some challenges going forward. Newstar is probably not in a position where they want to sit and wait around for the Caribbean storage market to see when that recovers. And certainly the, the buyers of these facilities may have the ability to do that. So overall, $250 million for that facility where, where it probably wasn't going to make them very much money for the next few years was probably a decent opportunity for Newstar. Yeah, makes sense. Um, any Anything else that stood out to you from the call? Listen, the, the stock was up significantly, probably on uh, the St. Eustatius news and, and the sale. From an earnings standpoint, uh, they, they missed our numbers by about $6 million, about 4% on an adjusted EBITDA. If I back out the accelerated revenue that they realized from, from the Petavesa contract. Um, so if, if I back that out, I have them at about $155 million of adjusted EBITDA versus our 161 is what, what we expected in Q1. So most of that difference is going to be on the pipeline side. So there was a bad debt expense that um, that their Permian system took. I'm, I've been unable to um, find out who the actual shipper was that, that led to that bad debt expense. Um, but note that that was that was put out in the 10Q that they, they had some extra cost because of that bad debt expense. Um, the other piece of the equation was a little bit lower revenue than, than what we expected. And that's primarily from the McKee refinery. Valero had an outage of, of an air blower at that McKee refinery in Q1. They did disclose, Valero did disclose that in their Q1 um, call. And that, that led to, it looks like significantly lower um, both crude oil inputs into that refinery, which Newstar owns pipelines that feed crude oil into that refinery, and also product pipelines away from the refinery. So Newstar actually owns refined products pipelines that take those refined products away and to market from that refinery. So that that looks like the 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 miss on Newstar from from our standpoint, the six million dollar miss um, seems like one time items. Otherwise, it would have been largely in line with our numbers. And, and that uh, McKee outage, does that also mean that the Ardmore system took more volumes as a result? Yeah, so Ardmore didn't necessarily take more volumes, but what Newstar did a, a few quarters ago were, was they came to an agreement with Valero that tied the MBC level for both the Ardmore line and the McKee line to volumes, uh, to a combined volume number for that system. So ordinarily, McKee would ship more of crude oil. Um, if the refinery was up the whole quarter, they would have shipped more volumes on that McKee line. Since they didn't, they actually, Valero was actually charged a higher rate on the Ardmore line. So that helped mitigate some of some of the revenue loss that, that we saw on the pipeline segment. Makes sense. Um, moving on to DCP. Finally, Rob, you get to join the conversation. Yeah, thanks for uh, inviting me in. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> well, what a win on DCP. And we got some uh, compliments from clients too. So we were very out of consensus on DCP, one of the most out of consensus companies, I think, of the ones we cover. And and yet they beat even our bullish outlook for the quarter. So what's what's going on here? What's, what's driving that wedge? That's right. So we were 6% above consensus on the quarter, um, 6% above consensus, and then they beat uh, consensus by 14%. So I think it's a... I think it's a few variables. One is you have to think back to 4Q18 um, earnings call when they had essentially a 45 to $50 million hit to earnings from increased outbacks. Um, this this uh, hit topics was one time that a line strike on Sand Hills, which reduced the volume on Sand Hills, and then they had turnarounds in both the Eagle Fur and the Permian. So um, carrying over into the first quarter, we saw that it's a one time non-recurrent event. So I think that's partially why we were higher. There were also a couple other events. Uh, one is they, uh, DCP has a 250 MMCF per day pipeline from uh, from Oaxaca to Katy, and they market uh, natural gas on that pipeline, which helps serve as a natural hedge to low natural gas prices uh, where they have commodity exposure on POP contracts. So um, they were able to market more on the Guadalupe pipeline than we had anticipated, than we modeled. Um, and that is something that could carry forward into 2Q and the rest of the year. Um, and something we may uh, revise our models up um, upwards to account for. So that's one component of it. Um, the second component of it is uh, record bonds on sandhills. So they're able to increase sandhills to 500,000 barrels of NGLs a day. Now we had... Um, we had forecasted or estimated record bonds on the pipe in the quarter, but they blew our number out of the water. I think we had 470, a little bit more than that. DCP reported upwards of 490. Um, so, and they credited that to optimization of the pipeline, which Bowder talked a little bit on the earnings call. So, um, those are really three components that I think led to one, us being higher than the street, and two, DCP being higher than, um, than what we had forecasted. Um, there, are some other puts and takes. For instance, Shin uh, Oak and Grand Prix both have NGL pipelines coming online out of the Permian. And uh, well, Shin Oak's pipeline is already online, mm-hmm. um, but will ramp throughout the year. And then Grand Prix set to come online 3Q19. So all in all, that could be about 400,000 barrels of NGLs a day that could uh, replace some of the spot volumes that are currently going on Sand Hill. So we risk those volumes. Um, accordingly, the other the other variable that's a lift to DCP throughout the rest of the year is increased volumes on Southern Hills via the White Cliffs um, extension into the DJ. So, increased volumes coming from the DJ will help Southern Hills volumes and help you know partially offset the the attrition on, on Sand Hills. Perfect. Yeah. Um, anything else that stood out to you on, on the earnings call worth mentioning? Um, not a whole lot. Just the one thing to watch there, especially on the gas side of the equation, since they are commodity exposed uh, via POP contracts, is how far Waha has discounted back um, for, from Henry Hub. And that's been an ongoing story for anyone exposed to gas in the Permian. Um, like I said, having marketing space on Guadalupe serves as a natural hedge. The extent to which they're able to um, to market bonds and, and how much they've, they've hedged remains an unknown, but that is potential upside. Um, and then I think, you know, outside of that, having Mewborn and O'Connor, Mewborn 3 and O'Connor 2 online for a full year, 2019 will help 
offset some of the declines they're realizing in other basins like the Anadarko. All in all, we're on the we're on the high side of um, of management guidance for the year. Cool, perfect. Um, we're also on the higher side of management guidance for energy transfer. So last but not least, um, ET. It's a behemoth of a company to say the least, and that's why we also have four analysts covering it, um, including myself, uh, Zach, and Matt. Um, sorry, Rob, to make you feel left out. Um, but hey, you're welcome to chime in here too. So um, so let, let's talk about this latest quarter. Um, to me personally, I think the name of the ET game was really crude marketing. Um, it, it's a decent sized black box, but um, one that had a 124 million year over year gains. Uh, we modeled a 50 million year over year gains so a bit low uh, on the low side. And I'm thinking they're marketing extra barrels on, on Dapple, which has been flowing above nameplate since 4Q, um, even though the expansion to 570 isn't officially online till 2Q. So, I mean, Matt, you covered the Bakken. So what do you think about the marketing on Dapple or, or where else they might be getting marketing? Um, yeah, it's, it's certainly possible that they're marketing on Dapple. I would note that the, the guidance that we heard from management was that that pipeline was not expanded until Q1. I believe February was was when the tariff filing went active. However, they reported volumes to FERC in their Form Six of about, uh, I think it was 565 or 564,000 barrels a day for Q4. So that was flowing above nameplate. They did they did say I, I believe they were at 540 in Q1 is what they reported. So a bit of a step back. Not a surprise when you saw some of the weather related um, slowdown in the Bakken. But it, it's definitely possible that they're marketing on that. Um, they could be marketing on, in, in other areas as well. I, I don't know if they do any marketing on the Permian Express partners lines, but th those were ones that had some capacity open up relatively recently as well. Yeah, it, it, they do market on PE3, which is flowing full now, uh, and we did account for that. So, um, yeah, and, and PE4, the whole Permian Express system is set to expand by 120 um, in 3Q. Um, so that was an interesting announcement that came out of the call as well. Um, marketing was also a big deal on interest date, I believe. So you want to cover that real quick? Yeah, so this is a this is a tough one to to uh, get right every quarter because there's there's just a lot of moving parts and um, one-time items and things that can throw that number off. So they reported a marketing number and, and really it's their natural gas sales and other margin that they report in their 10Q, um, which gives us an idea of what their marketing looks like. Uh, it was 38 million below our estimates. And again, you have the, the possibility that things like um, realized derivatives are, are moving that number. Um, things like there, there was rumors, I have no idea if this is true or not, but there was rumors that they were taking less volumes from interstate pipelines on Oasis toward the back half of March. Um, and a lot of people thought that there may be a, an outage on Oasis or a partial outage or reduced volumes on Oasis. If Oasis had reduced volumes, I know ET markets a significant amount of, uh, of natural gas on Oasis. That could have reduced the margin. We didn't account for that. Um, and, and then they, they do they do sales out of their storage facilities as well. So they'll um, buy gas in the shoulder seasons and store it at BAML, their storage facility, and then they'll sell it in the winter. So you have you have spreads there that, that impact that number as well. Um, I would say overall, um, they did miss our number by about 6% on the interest aid. It's about $15 million. Um, some of the $38 million miss on marketing was made up for with higher uh, transport fees. 
So another area where, where they could have made up for some of that lost marketing was if they turned out some of their, their open capacity on, on some of those intrastate lines. It is possible that they did that during the quarter. Um, they have guided now to turning out some uh, some capacity starting in really 3Q, 4Q, 2020, I believe they've guided to when that second Permian pipeline comes online. So they did talk about that during the call. So um, we, we have adjusted or will be adjusting our model to take that into account that some of that marketing capacity will come off in, in late 2020 and will turn into fee-based capacity. And, and really, that's what energy transfer should be doing. They should be trying to thread that needle of how do we maximize revenue um, between marketing and uh, terming this out for, for the long term, 10 plus years. Um, based, on, based on their analysis, I, I think they're doing a pretty good job at that. Um, late 2020 seems like a, a pretty good time to to term some of that capacity out. Makes sense. Um, am I missing anything? Do you want to add a bit on the interstates? There's an ad valorem tax yeah, we, thing going on. We were, we were in line. I mean, Broker came online fully, so they had some increased expenses as well as yeah, property taxes that came in much higher now that it's online. So We'll be adjusting the expenses on Rover up a little bit going forward now that we, we can see what they've reported in the past two quarters with their big online. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, I'll just add on the NGL side, they did announce uh, an expansion on the Mariners, uh, the Mariner South system. Um, so that transports Y-grade from Mont Bellevue to Nederland for export. Um, they'll double the pipes capacity from 200 a day to 400, and that's also going to uh, increase the Nederland LPG terminal space. Um, I think that's it for ET. Anything else you guys want to add? Feeling good? Okay. Everyone was shaking their head. Um, <laughs> all right. Cool, guys. Thank you. I appreciate the insight. And as always, if you have any questions about this week's episode, shoot us a message at insight at eastdaily.com. While you're at it, please send us your feedback and any oil and gas questions you have, no matter how broad or narrow. We'll have a mailbag episode coming up soon, so we will answer all those questions and more. Please remember that anything you hear on this podcast is not intended to be investment advice, so please do not invest based solely on what you hear on this episode. That's all I have for you guys today. We'll see you next time.